Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Sports Fixits Podcast. I am Mike Vian. Alongside me is Mr. Justin Minkley. This is the 32nd episode. So this is the Shaquille O'Neal or Magic Johnson episode hey, of Sports or Julius Irving, if you prefer. Or how about some Jim Brown? 32, a very, very good number. It is indeed. Uh, in, in all of sports, really. They got like football and, and basketball and Sandy Koufax and baseball, too. Um, we won't mention uh, somebody who used to play for the Utah Jazz um, because they like to mention the names of uh, slightly underage people. Uh, and Franco yeah. Harris wore number 32 as well, as did Marcus Allen. And I'm not going to mention him either. Um, uh, you know, our last one that I'll mention is Kevin McHale. Kevin McHale wore 32. Uh, Indeed. Minkley, what's your favorite 32 of all time? Oh, man. I got to say the... Um... The Shaq and the Jim Brown ones. Really, yeah, I was going to say either Magic yeah, Shaq's too. up there for me. Right. Those three. All right. So, it's a pretty thin show. Excuse me. It's a pretty thin show because we can't really stick to the format we've been having because, one, we shortened it. Two, it's, there's nothing going on. I mean, I've got baseball awards for you, but... Uh, and, uh... Next show, we will have uh, the MVPs and the Cy Youngs. I think we have Rookie and Manager. Yes, we have Rookie and Manager of the Year, too. So we'll have, like, the big baseball awards. But other than that, we're just going to run through these. And then we got football. So I hope you like football talk, folks, because that's kind of all we got. <laughs> How you doing, Minkley? No, I'm pretty good. And I think this is a good idea to have an all football show or have a mostly football show. There are a lot of people who, when I did my polls last year for all best championship team of the decade, football one garnered a lot of response. So I can actually hit up a lot more people about this episode if we have it all football or mostly football themed. And that's what it's going to be. And let's get started right away with some baseball stuff. So your finalists for the American League MVP are out. It is Jose Abreu, first baseman of the Chicago White Sox, DJ LeMahieu of the New York Yankees, and Jose Ramirez of the Cleveland Indians. Um, me personally, Jose Ramirez is here because his end to his season was so incredible. I really think this should go to Pito. I think this should go to Jose Abreu because he was the one veteran, basically, in a lineup full of younger guys, and every time he was very very good and also managing to get a more than an rbi per game is absolutely stupid ridiculous so i say jose should win your al mvp your nl mvp is between mookie betts freddie freeman and manny machado uh don't know as much about this one however i do know mookie betts justified his deal this year so i'd give that one to mookie american league al cy young Okay, Shane Bieber, Kitta Maeda, and Hyun Jin Ryu. So that's Bieber of the Indians, Maeda of the Twins, and Ryu of the Jays. This is easy. There's no, there is no doubting that Shane Bieber wins this award. I think his name should have been the AL MVP race instead of either Lemayhu or Ramirez. But that's the Cy Young. 
NL, Trevor Bauer wins this. It doesn't matter. It's DeGrom and Darvish, who both had really good years. Darvish was the only one who had a serious shot, but he fell apart at the end. That's Trevor Bauer by a landslide. Okay, American League Rookie of the Year, uh, Christian Javier of the Astros, Kyle Lewis of the Mariners, excuse the yawn, and Lou Bob of the White Sox, Luis Robert. So here's my thing with this one. Kyle Lewis had a 1.4 war. He hit 262 with 11 home runs, 28 RBIs, and an OPS of 801 for just an awful, awful Marlins team. Like, they suck. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Marlins team. I meant Mariners. I think I might have said Marlins, so I apologize for that. Um, But anyway, they're terrible. Then... You have Christian Javier, who pitched for the Astros, and he pitched pretty well. Was 5-2 and two with a 3.48 ERA. Uh, yep, this is the right spelling. Um, 54 and a third innings pitched under one whip, so he had a great first season as a reliever. Luis Robert hit 233. His OPS was 7.38, 11 home runs, 31 RBIs. The reason Lou Bob is here is on this list is because, number one, he is on the American League Gold Glove list. He won the center field Gold Glove in the American League. I don't know. It depends on how much they value defense. If you value defense very highly, then this is Roberts in the bag because he had a great first half of the year and... He won a he won a Gold Glove like he was the best that he's one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball in his rookie year. So if you value that a lot, it goes to him. I think if you don't value that much, it goes to Christian Javier. Um, and just, you know, hopefully Robert can actually hit a baseball next year in the last half of the season. Poor guy needed to wound up needing to adjust uh, or pitching adjusted to him. Hopefully you can fix that in the off season. All right. And a rookie of the year is Alec Bohm, Jake Cronworth, and Devin Williams. I'm going to be honest. I don't know anything about these guys. I'm not going to make any judgment. AL manager of the year, Kevin Cash, Charlie Montoyo, and Rick Renteria. That is Rays, Jays, and White Sox. Rick Renteria should not be on this list. I know why he is, but he should not be on this list because if he's not their manager, they would go deeper in the playoffs because he's a dumbass. Uh, Charlie Montoyo. You're preaching facts here. So Charlie Montoya with the Blue Jays, I understand why he gets this position, but this has to go to Kevin Cash. The Rays made the World Series. Yeah. It, it's got to go with that payroll, with that, it, it's got to go to Kevin Cash. NL Manager of the Year, Don Mattingly, David Ross, and Jace Tinkler. That's Marlins, Cubs, and Padres. The Padres finally did something with this expensive lineup. The Marlins were supposed to win about 12 games this year. Instead, they made the playoffs. Why the fuck is David Ross here? <laughs> Why the hell is David Ross here? How the fuck does underperforming and getting swept by the Marlins in the DS gets you here? How? Why the know. hell? Why is why is half your lineup being so bad that they're below the freaking Mendoza line for the entire year? How in the hell is he on this list? Kid, I wish I knew. 
Like, Dave Roberts has all the talent in the world, but Jesus Christ, at least they made it somewhere. Russell got all the talent in the world, too, and they didn't do shit. Why is he here? They should go to Don Mattingly. Because that Marlins thing was incredible. Uh, I'll run through the Silver Sluggers quickly. Uh, Salvi Perez of the Royals won the uh, Silver Slugger uh, in, for catcher. Travis D'Arnaud of the Braves won it in the National League, so that's American NL. Your first baseman Silver Sluggers are Jose Abreu of the Sox and Freddie Freeman of the Braves. Um, your Silver Sluggers uh, at second are DJ LeMahieu and Donovan Solano of mm. the Giants. And you're going, who the ever-living hell is Donovan Solano? Well, I'll Please, tell you who Donovan Solano is. In his MLB career before coming to the Giants in 2019, and by the way, he was out of the majors for three years. At age 28, with the New York Yankees, he played only nine games, was out of baseball for three years, comes back last year with the Giants, plays in half the year, only hit four home runs, but he hit 330. And now this year... In 54 games with the Giants, he had 326, 365 OBP, so a little low. His OPS was 828. His OPS plus was 128. So Donovan Solano at age 32 comes in from out of absolutely nowhere and wins a silver slugger. Good for him. That's an awesome story. Jose Ramirez, I mean, he was going to win the third baseman slugger. Uh, the third base over Slugger in the AL. Let's face it, Machado wins it in the NL, no surprise there. Timmy Anderson of the White Sox wins the uh, Silver Slugger. Uh, yeah, that's what's going to happen when you win a bat and damn near win the batting title back to back. Fernando Tatis wins it in the NL of the Padres. Tessacor Hernandez, or Teosacor, I can't decide which one it is. Blue Jays outfielder gets the Silver Slugger. Good for him. Not a guy that's going to, you know, before now. Not a guy that had done a whole lot. Been a decent outfielder, but not an award winner. Ronald Acuna Jr. for the Braves. Your other two Silver Sluggers is Eloy Jimenez for the White Sox and Mike Trout of the Angels. Who else? Mookie Betts and Juan Soto are your NL. That's the Dodgers and the Nats. And your DHs are Marcelo Osuna of the Braves and Nelson Cruz of the Twinkies. So the the team with the most silver sluggers in the American League was the White Sox, and in the NL it was the Braves. Hmm. Uh, gold gloves at catcher. It's Roberto Perez and Tucker Barnhart, your catching duel, Indians and Reds, for those two in that order. Evan White, really young first baseman for Mariners, got a lot of talent. He wins a gold glove at first base. Anthony Rizzo of the Cubs wins your uh, gold glove at first in the National League. Cesar Hernandez of the Indians wins the gold glove in the American League. Part of that incredible infield defense and obviously Perez catcher, um, Roberto Perez, that is, that helped Shane Bieber and Zach Plesac and the rest of that staff be so good. Colton Wong, second base for the Cardinals, was sure enough this year to get him a gold glove. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, third base gold glove for the Rangers. Arenado for the Rockies gets in the NL. American League shortstop was J.P. Crawford. NL shortstop was Javier Baez. That's the only thing he did this whole year. Outfield left to right in the American League was Alex Gordon, who retired this year, by the way, of the Royals. So hmm. good career 
Uh, Luis That's Robert right, did. up the Sox up in center, and Joey Gallo out in right for the Rangers. The National League is Tyler O'Neill of the Cardinals, Trent Grisham of the Padres, Mookie Betts of the Dodgers, and your pitchers, Gold Gloves, Griffin Canning of the Angels, and Max Fried of the Braves. So that's what we know. Um, oh, uh, actually, we do know one more. Um, reliever of the year goes to Liam Hendricks of the A's, no surprise. And Devin Williams of the Brewers, actually, so I guess that should make him and a rookie of the year. I remember seeing that name a little bit back. Uh, Rosarena is your ALCS MVP, in case you didn't know. Corey Seager is the NLCS MVP. <coughs> Excuse me. And Seager won the World Series MVP, just in case you guys didn't already know. It is pretty much a rundown of baseball awards. I think uh, I think it's going pretty good. Um, now, apologize to Jan. Um, there is the matter of the All-MLB teams. That comes out next Friday, so the day we record. Uh, or, wait a minute. No, sorry. If they come out in early December. The voting ends next Friday, right about the time we record. All you got to do is go to MLB.com slash awards, and then uh, I'm pretty sure there's something to click. Yeah, you can just click on the All-MLB team thing and select who you think should be on the All-MLB list uh, for this year. And, yeah, that's it for baseball. All right. Sounds pretty good, Mike. There's a lot of good stuff you touched on, especially for manager and MVP. All right. So I would assume we're just going to go cover last week. Yeah, there's a lot of things we can cover from last week. So for anyone who listens and pays attention to the podcast, or at least how we are outside of here, um, winners and losers. A lot of winners and losers from last week, Mike. Yeah, uh, why don't you go ahead and walk us through those? Well, first off, um, there there's one that we'll talk about at the very, very end of this. Okay. But um, when it comes to the winners and losers that I touched on, of course, throughout in my post, um, it had to do with a good number of the... Um, games in the later afternoon again because that's where we see a lot of teams rear their heads. We'll get into those in a bit. But offensive rookie debuts, Mike. Pretty good. Um, There were two notable rookie debuts or rookies who had their starts, Tuatunga Vailoa and DJ Dallas. And what do both of these players have in common from their debuts? Well, they didn't do much, but they did do enough to give their teams wins. Tuatunga Bailoa um, tied it up at seven for the Dolphins when the Rams blew the doors off the start of that game and led seven nothing. They tied it up at seven. Dolphins never looked back. The defense really helped them out, and so did the special teams. Uh, DJ Dallas didn't even run for 50 yards in his first career start against the San Francisco 49ers. He didn't need to, but he did get two touchdowns, one running, one receiving, and both were the last touchdowns of the game for Seattle. Um, DK Metcalf is another one of my winners. Uh, He had a rebound game, and I noticed this. Mike, I I need to make sure I get this guy's name correct. Is it Mark Shalaris? How'd you say it? It's Shalaris. 
Slareth. C H L E R E T H. Yeah, Schlereth. Okay, Schlereth. Yeah. Yeah, he um so DK Metcalf had a touchdown at the 2-yard line. Uh he caught the defense was called for pass interference slash holding. But he broke down how Seattle is using Metcalf on one-on-one coverages. Basically, they put Tyler Lockett, David Moore, maybe a tight end like Will Disley or Greg Olson on one side, and then they leave DK Metcalf on the other side, giving him more one-on-one opportunities. That wound up getting Metcalf his second touchdown of the day. Obviously, we know that none of San Francisco's cornerbacks are going to be like what Patrick Peterson is who had to contain DK Metcalf with assistance from Buda Baker at times. Um, it looks like they could, Seattle could use situations like this, especially in the red zone to get Metcalf the ball, especially when they play Arizona again uh, in Seattle. So keep that in mind. Keep that in the back of your head. I know that's a kind of a weird one. I obviously Metcalf was going to have a better game, after he was bottled up against Arizona, but Seattle was finding more creative ways to use him. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings. And I have the Vikings in here. Obviously, the Packers won last night, but the Packers kind of have to deal with the fact that they went one of two this week, Mike. And Minnesota used their bye week. It looks like the coaches, as I harped on the last loss they had against Atlanta, it looks like Minnesota's offensive coaches were able to break down more of what they had to fix. And the defense, yes, okay, they they were good a bit, uh, especially holding Aaron Rodgers that second half. But it, it keeps Minnesota alive in the playoffs long enough since every team in the NFC North lost. And Drew Locke, this is where the later afternoon games again comes into play. Drew Locke didn't do anything nearly the first two and a half quarters of the game. Phillip Lindsay runs for the first touchdown of the day for the Broncos. A seven-point lead for the Chargers kind of, you know, gets a few field goals up there. And Locke comes alive as he throws two touchdowns. Get this. K.J. Hamler and Albert Okwugbunum had four catches of the day combined. But they had two of the three touchdowns that Drew Locke threw. And I kind of understand why there's hype behind Drew Locke. Because he can find receivers. Even if they aren't well-known, even if they don't put up big games, I think Hamler had only one catch, and that was the touchdown catch. But it shows Drew Locke's potential, even though the Chargers choked this game away. Yeah, and you know, when the Chargers for the Falcons in a few weeks, it's going to be a choke ball. And, uh, we're going to see who could choke last. Um, but I want to head to. Do you want to head to Sean McVay now or later? You know what? This is a, this is a good one to talk about because I feel the losers were actually more noticeable from Sunday. So yeah, let's start start with Sean McVay. Sorry, right. I am. Well, wait. Let me uh, let me say this before you read your thing. I have come to the conclusion that Rams are not real. I want to hear why you feel feel this is the case. Okay, Dallas was healthy in week one. They beat them by three. The Eagles were healthy in week two. They won by 18. They lost in a shootout to the Bills, 35-32. Since then, 
They only put up 17 on a Giants team that had no Saquon and had no clock control, which is how the Giants were going to keep games close. They put up 30 on a Washington football team that is abysmal. Then they lost to the Niners 24 to 16 when the Niners were crippled. They beat the Bears in one of the most pathetic displays I've ever seen by a football team. And two things from that game. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. But I'm talking about whether a team is actually good or not. Two things from that game. One, if the Bears had any clue how to tackle in that game, they would have not gotten at least one of those touchdowns. Also, if you look, and you watch that game, what, the Nick Foles interception in the end zone should have been thrown away, and one of the interceptions, uh, I think there was somebody dropped the ball in the red zone that led to the field goal. So that game should probably be either a lot closer or a Bears win, even with how shit the Bears played, because if they were just not as bad for a quarter, they would have wound up calling that game back a little bit. So... The Rams did embarrass the Bears. That's what happened. But it doesn't – and also, that Bears defense was was not there that night, and they only scored 24. So it's not, to me, it's not as it's not as big a victory as it seemed like at the time just because I, I honestly feel that game wasn't as much the Rams doing it as the Bears doing it to themselves – no tackling ability, no inspired offense, Foles throwing stupid picks. Like, the Rams got to be there and let the Bears do that. That's a thing in of itself. Yeah. But I do feel like the Bears beat themselves a lot in that game. It's one of the, one of the, it's one of the worst Bears games ever. And then there's this shit show from Sunday. You lost to the Dolphins 28-17. Not only that, you lost to a team with a rookie quarterback who didn't even play that good. Tagovailoa was 12-22 with 93 yards and a touchdown. Now, he didn't throw picks. I understand that. You lost to a guy who started an entire game in the National Football League and threw less than 100 yards. Justin Minkley, how many yards of offense did the Dolphins have? I honestly have no idea, but I'm going to say it's less than 200. The Dolphins had 145 total yards, okay? How many do you think the Rams had? And close to 500, I think. 471. You got 31 first downs. You lost the game where you had literally, actually more than three times the offensive yardage as your opponent. How the hell did you manage that? It's because Jared Goff is a bum. And also your special teams apparently don't know how to special team. Jared Goff to two picks. Jakeem Grant had a punt return touchdown, and Andrew Van Ginkle had a 78-yard fumble return. The so Rams here. beat themselves. Like, one more thing. The, the Rams won against the Bears the week before because the Bears beat themselves, and the Rams were there to capitalize. They lost to the Dolphins because the Dolphins' defense was there to capitalize. The offense wasn't even there, and they didn't need to be. The Rams are a joke. They're going to so, get – they have their bye, then they have Seattle. That's going to be a problem. Yeah, I think them going into a bye week, knowing they lost this game, 
I mean, uh, this is one of the two teams that basically had to go two for two, knowing the division they play in Arizona had their bye week, too. So they had to keep up with a Cardinals team that is so far 2-0 and in the division. And, Mike, here is my thing with Sean McVay. This is where I basically picked Sean McVay apart. So pregame on Fox, you know, I, I basically go through the channels ahead of time to see what I'm going to watch. Yeah, see what you're going to get. Yeah, I, I get that. And it is incredible what you can find out in pregames, like even little details. And Kenny Albert's crew, I forget who else he had. I know Jonathan Vilma is part of his crew, but the, the sideline reporters, they said that – when Sean McVay did interviews heading into that game, that he was going to run the ball. And what blows my mind away, Mike, is how much the Rams did not run the ball. (laughs) I mean, we've harped on this for a number of teams throughout the season. If you run the ball, you're going to get good opportunities. I think the best team that you can see, they can't run the ball or the best two teams, are the teams there at the bottom. And those would be Buffalo and Houston. And you're seeing how Buffalo cannot close games out. I'll get to the Bills later on. They're, they are in this loser's column, by the way. Um, but the Rams averaged, the, the running back that averaged the least amount of yards was their starting running back for 3.9. That's close to a 4-yard four, four average, Mike. And, okay, I get that you're down. You're you're what down 14, 18 points, and there and there's this there's this mindset of oh you got to throw the ball to come back. Well, the problem is with a mindset like this is you're kind of ignoring what advantages you have on the field. And Miami's run defense has not been good throughout the year. In fact, if you want to beat them, that's the way you do it. That's how Seattle basically beat them or tried to keep drives alive when it mattered with Chris Carson. And they weren't able to do that. They they had two other running backs average over four yards a carry. That wasn't Robert Woods running the ball on trick plays. And that's a problem, Mike, because your coach said in the interview, he's going to run the ball for the game. Jared Goff attempted 61 passes. That Knowing that you've had problems with Jared Goff before, and this is the first time that someone's made him look that bad this season, where Brian Flores and the Dolphins basically used the same stuff that Bill Belichick did in the Super Bowl, it's how much has this team actually grown? And, Mike, I would have I would have been okay with throwing the ball and, and maybe, you know, looking past the whole running game part, but they played a Monday night game. I mean, we've talked about this in our picks before, too. When you come off a stomping like they did on Monday night against the Bears, maybe going into the bye week, yeah, you want to see how your receivers and your quarterback in the passing game go, but I would want to close this game out as fast as I could by running the ball. Because then, like, you control the tempo, you control the rhythm of the game. Tua didn't look good. But he didn't have to. That's, I think, what, what really stands out to me. Like, if the defense and the special team was whooping them, even though they were putting up yards, 
tool looks like because he he shouldn't have had this comfortable position so that, that and that's my whole beef with McVeigh like how the hell do you go from a, a really simple game plan to this 